This is Deep Into History, and I'm your host, Arjun Hundo. Take a deep breath and think back to a series of very Pyrrhic events. Prepare to dream with me as our story resumes exactly where it should. Let your breath out slowly. Ready? Then let's go. It's a cold night on a marshy plain near the village of Ascalum. You are looking at the burnt remnants of a once fortified camp of an army that should have been celebrating a glorious victory. It is a somber, even sad scene of thousands of warriors sleeping in the open because their tents burned while they were away winning a massive battle. Most of their belongings looted, and though much was recovered, much more is in the possession of other men. In the distance, the elephants can be heard mournfully trumpeting. Though the Roman attempts to bring them down had failed, all of them were wounded with deep cuts that even their thick hides couldn't fully protect them from. One is so badly wounded that it would have to be put down, though as yet the matriarch of the herd would not allow it. The sad calls from the herd for its dying member become a song that sums up the despair of the victorious army. The fact is, every man still alive feels guilty for surviving the battle because they all lost dear friends and heroic captains. Perhaps if they had been able to hunt down the routed Roman army and take in their vengeance along with spoils, it would have been some consolation. That didn't happen. At the peak of the bloody contest, after the war offense had decimated the Roman formations, when the heavy cavalry was grouping to charge the fleeing army and execute the full rout, ready and eager to repay the Romans tenfold for their losses, a vast plume of smoke was seen rising from miles behind the line. Their camp was burning. Instead of finishing the battle, your king and his cavalry had to rush back to attack the thousands of Italian barbarians who, late to the battle, had taken the lightly defended camp completely by surprise. The most of the army's treasury was saved. Their food, pack animals, ten clothes, small keepsakes from distant homelands, and campaign supplies were all gone, consumed by the massive inferno caused by the raiders. There is one tent standing in the middle of a camp, a common soldier's tent, though this night it is home to a king. Within, Pyrrhus of Epirus is consulting with the gods, praying for guidance, periodically joined by the strange priest from the Necromantion of Acheron, who men believed allowed the king to talk directly to his ancestors. Though the morale of the army is low, faith in Pyrrhus has never been higher. Just days before, the king had fought beside them, charging up and down the line, saving many of their lives, and leading them to victory. He personally lost nearly all of his closest advisors, men who had been with him since childhood, his dearest friends, all dead. Amid the feelings of grief, there is also a sense of anticipation in the camp, for all know of the two envoys who came to the king asking for aid after the battle. One from Macedon begging for him to lead the army back across the Adriatic, march through and resupply in Epirus, and rush to confront a so far unbeatable horde of barbarian Gauls ravaging the countryside, burning towns, and even now bearing down on the capital city of Pella. The reward for this? The crown of Macedon. Pyrrhus could take his place among the monarchs of the successor realms carved out of Alexander's empire. The downside being a hard campaign against a much more numerous foe, with a very uncertain outcome, and once victorious, ascending to the throne only to have to live in the viper's pit that is the politics of the Greek world. The second from the powerful, cultured, and very advanced Greek city of Syracuse in Sicily. The island was filled with the farthest colonies of Grat Magna Graecia. The city was even now being besieged by a Carthaginian army. The island is toxically divided between the multifactional Greek cities, the mighty naval empire of Carthage, and a sadistic cult dedicated to the war god. The reward offered is incredible amounts of gold and silver, massive amounts of supplies, a probable crown from the grateful citizens of the city, and a chance to campaign and win control of a very rich island. In truth, there is a third party involved in this. The commanders of the White Shields from Tarentum have also pled their case to Pyrrhus. They insist that Pyrrhus stay and finish the war with the Romans as he agreed to defend Tarentum. A case could be made that the Tarentines who lied about the causes of the war failed to live up to many of the promises of troops and support, and that they had been forced to fight along Pyrrhus for their very own freedom. Any rewards that they promised aside, the massive downside would be facing the Roman legions again, a thought no one in the army relished. 
In the early morning, Pyrrhus leaves his tent and is quickly approached by the eager envoys. He points to one of his signalers who blows his trumpet, the familiar sound calling a muster. In answer, an elephant trumpets and jogs over to Pyrrhus. Though standing 12 feet tall at the shoulder and massive, everyone knows the young bull that Pyrrhus treats like a favored hound and has become something of a mascot for the army. Without prompting, the elephant kneels, offering himself as a mount. Pyrrhus sits astride the elephant's neck, his legs dangling behind the animal's huge ears. From his perch on the mighty beast, Pyrrhus addresses not the envoys, but the assembled army. He tells them of his consultations with the gods and his ancestors. With tears flowing, he laments their lost comrades, and finally, as if lit by an inner fire, his eyes fills with the resolve. He's the eagle again. He asks the army if they trust his judgment. The men roar in answer. He asks if they want to go home with the taste of bitter victory on their tongues, or if they should honor their fallen by ensuring they did not die in vain. The army roars louder this time. No longer asking, he tells them that the only way to achieve this is to conquer, so that their names will ring through history and never be forgotten. He tells them it is time for them to take it all. He draws his sword and points to the west. The army roars, a chant of eagle, eagle, eagle quickly rises pyrrhus stands on his mount and yells if i am your eagle know that you are the wind that allows me to fly the roar of the army is deafening and is joined by the trumpeting herd of elephants let the dream fade away and hear me say this is the tale of the army that won the original pyrrhic victories against the disciplined savagery of the legions of rome is it a tale as much about faith as it is about battles faith in each other faith in their skill at arms and above all faith in their leader for they had all seen him routinely do what for most men would be impossible, seen him deliberately seek out the most dangerous Roman warriors and strike them down so his men wouldn't have to face them, seen him take vicious wounds and fight on, seen him, a king, leap into direct danger just to save the life of the humblest soldier. This is why they would follow him to a distant land to fight the might of Carthage, a foe the tale said was much mightier than Rome. It was as if the men knew what they couldn't possibly know, that their leader represented the end of an age and that the world would never see his like again. For Pyrrhus of Epirus was raised, fought, acted, thought, and was every inch a figure out of the pages of the Iliad. This is the tale of Pyrrhus, the eagle of Epirus, whose men would follow him to the ends of the earth even if his path led them to a final decisive battle with Rome. Welcome to The Last Hero. This was a sample of this month's Patreon-only episode, The Last Hero. If you'd like to hear the full episode, go to patreon.com slash deepinthehistory to sign up. You'll gain access to exclusive Patreon episodes each month. That's patreon.com slash deepinthehistory. Thanks for listening. I truly look forward to the next time we go deep. Take care, my friends.